Hello and welcome to the Speak Female podcast, the podcast that is on a mission to empower, coach and educate women as well as allies around the world to become more confident, knowledgeable and to have the opportunity to listen to real subjects that they can either relate to or learn something from. Speak female as a term is defined by changing the meaning around words, phrases and stereotypes that tend to have a negative association towards women. Speak female is about how we can and will edit the narrative to build a value community with a goal to see justice in the world. I'm your host, Lucy Grimwade, and I wear many hats where I think and encourage others to think outside of the box. I'm an ICF qualified coach, senior IT improvement manager, and of course, audio and visual podcaster. For season three, I have introduced panel style conversations on topics such as leadership, confidence and menopause. This is alongside a couple of interviews with incredible women doing incredible things. Now let's speak female. Welcome back to the Speak Female podcast. In this episode, I'm joined by Jill Whitty Collins, author of Why Men Win at Work. Jill spent 26 years with P&G where she progressed to senior VP. With her experience and what she witnessed and learnt about gender equality as a woman in senior management will resonate with people, whatever their gender, wherever they are working. She now works to drive gender equality and diversity, to build stronger businesses and stronger societies. Her story and vision will inspire you to join the force to make equality history. Jill, welcome to the Speak Female podcast. It is an absolute honour to have you on here today. Thank you so much for inviting me. Really looking forward to talking with you. Oh, me too. So I'm going to just dive straight in and I'm going to ask you around, I just would love to hear about your career story so far. Um, And would you kind of just mind sharing that journey that you've been on? Yeah, sure. Yeah. So, you know, I don't know if you know, but I had my son when I was at university. He was born at the end of my second year of university. And uh, I was at Cambridge and they were fantastic, incredibly supportive. But what it meant was that by the time uh, my degree had ended, you know, I, I desperately needed to get out there and start my career and get earning some money to pay back all those debts that I'd Um, accumulated as you can imagine student grants don't really cover uh, Cambridge nursery costs so I went straight from university straight to start my career and um, I joined Procter & Gamble in their uh, brand management function their marketing function um, which you know I absolutely loved I worked I was there for 26 years first in the UK near London then moved to Geneva after 12 years to work on the European and international business and I worked on some incredible brands you know brands like Olay, Always, Pantene, Head and Shoulders, Max Factor I mean just incredible it was an absolute privilege Um, to work on them. My last job there was in Geneva. I was senior vice president for the 
beauty care business for Europe, India, Middle East and Africa, which was obviously fascinating on many levels. Um, and then I left there a few years ago and I wrote uh, the book when I left. Brilliant. And it leads me on so nicely to my next question around growing up in a feminist household, going to Cambridge and then just landing such a fantastic career that's taking you like literally it sounds like all around the world. It wasn't until you were in that kind of mid-career exec role where you started to see that unconscious and invisible bias. Now, can you tell me what are those kind of first signs that you saw there? Yes. Yeah, so, you know, as you say, I went a very long time without it hitting me. Um, I thought I was immune. I thought I had I had some kind of immunity vaccine against this. Obviously, I knew uh, gender inequality was an issue. I knew that women um, had faced issues. I thought I was immune. Um, and it was really only when I got to that senior vice president level um, that I realized, oh, not immune. Not immune, because then I saw it. Um, and as I say, uh, I always say, and then I saw it everywhere. Um, and, you know, what happened basically was at that level, it was the first time in my life, um, not just in my career, but actually in my life that I found myself in a male dominant culture. So I found myself for the first time in meetings, in board meetings, which were 80% men. Um, and that was very different. And I realized quickly that that was very different. And I realized that I'd been extremely lucky actually, because I hadn't hit it until then. You know, I got to my mid forties before hitting that male dominant uh, culture experience. And I know that many, many women hit it way earlier in their, their lives. Um, and I realized, um, that, you know, in a male dominant culture, it feels very, very different. Um, I felt the impact it was having on me. I saw the impact that it was having on the women around me because obviously there were you know, 20% women in the room and I could see that they were very different in this male dominant culture from the way that I knew them outside this male dominant culture. Um, and you know, I felt that and I became absolutely fascinated by it actually. So I started to read lots of books, lots of articles um, to try and understand what is happening, what was happening here. And that's obviously when I realized the extent of it. And then it wasn't me. It wasn't the women around me. It wasn't the men around me. And it wasn't my company. It was just absolutely everywhere that this was happening to women. And, and I, I found it incredible um, to be honest, that wherever I looked, whichever kind of rug I peeped under, um, whether it was business, sport, politics, whatever, whatever country, whatever company, the numbers were always the same. It was always that they would usually start pretty balanced. So at the recruitment stage, they would usually start at around, um, you know, 50% women. Um, in line, obviously, with the university, which is, you know, most more graduates are women, actually. Um, but as you went up that pyramid, at each level, the women drifted away and the percentage became lower and lower until you got to the top level and it's less than 10% pretty much everywhere. But yes, it was, it was really only at that 
pretty senior level of senior vice president that I started to see it and realize, oh, wow, this really is a thing. Yeah. And today men um, occupy more than 90% of the leadership roles in business and society. Why do you think that is? So, you know, there is actually a simple answer to it, I think. Um, There is a very simple answer and there's a very complex answer. And the simple answer for me is that what happens is that when a person is making a decision about who to give a job to, who to give a promotion, who to give one of those big leadership roles to, that person, of course, chooses the person who they think is the best, right? They, they choose the person they think is the best performer. And what happens is that nine times out of 10, they believe the best performer is a man. That's what they genuinely believe. If they didn't believe the better performer was a man, they wouldn't choose him. So actually where it gets complex is, is, well, why do we believe that? Why is it that 90% of the time we think that the man's the stronger choice? Um, Because actually, if you look at the the facts, it it can't actually be true 90% of the time because you know, women are not 10% of the population, they're 50% of the population. We know, and I don't think anyone rational even challenges that women are equally intelligent, right? And equally competent and equally capable. There's also fantastic data that women have at least equal leadership ability. So the data says, you know, women are equal and they should be in 50% of those cases getting the decision for that job in their favor. But, you know, they're only actually getting that 10% of the time. So the real question for me is why do we, why do we think the man's better 90% of the time when he isn't? And then obviously, you know, that then we get into all sorts of complex reasons why we, um, why we do believe that. And that's a combination of many, many invisible and unconscious and, and usually unintended forces, actually. Could you give me a couple of examples to what they are? Yeah, I mean, so many. For me, um, you know, probably the most fundamental is the invisible power of culture, as I call it. Um, we, you know, we all operate uh, in a culture and when we're in a culture where we feel we look around us and we feel that we belong and we feel included, uh, that makes us feel comfortable and relaxed and we can perform in that culture. And obviously the opposite is true. If we find ourselves in a culture and we look around us and we say, oh, they're different, I'm different, I'm the different one. Um, We're not comfortable, we're not relaxed and it actually does limit our ability to perform Uh, and obviously you know who is more likely to feel a sense of belonging in a male dominant culture Um, and who is less likely so it's a self-fulfilling prophecy if a culture is male dominated it is going to support um, men more likely than women and those men are going to perform better because they're going to be more comfortable and relaxed and so we're going to conclude many many times that the man is the stronger performer when actually and sometimes he may be but 
very often he's not necessarily the stronger performer. He's just more comfortable. Um, there's also um, obviously the the you know the classic, which is what I call the competence versus confidence equation, which uh, you know many many people talk about in different forms, but confidence my goodness it's it's very attractive isn't it we all I think it's the most human thing in the world for us to be drawn to confidence and drawn to confident people um I don't think that's ever going to change but obviously the issue is that for many reasons that start in childhood actually and at school in general huge generalization there are exceptions of course but in general women are less confident than men and you know what I call perfectionist syndrome plays a huge role in that, which unfortunately many young girls learn at school and I wish we could vaccinate them against it. Um, but, you know, we find that in so many instances, the men are, are more confident, they're projecting more confidence and we're drawing sometimes a false conclusion that that is representative of competence when actually it has nothing to do with competence. And if we don't look behind that confident curtain and ask ourselves, am I really looking at a competent person here or am I actually just being a little bit fooled by the confidence? And actually, if I look behind him and beyond him, is there actually an extremely competent and talented person who just doesn't have as much confidence and isn't projecting herself as confidently or maybe not even projecting herself at all and I, I think that happens so often that we are lured into again like with uh, the impact of culture we're lured into believing that um, somebody's stronger and a better performer when actually they're just more confident um, and that's not necessarily the same thing in all cases. Jill, I have a, a bit of a curious question for you. And I wondered whether you could talk to me and tell our audience about feminist phobia. Ah, oh, yes. Feminist phobia. I, mean, I think it's a massive issue. And I think many women have it. I, just yesterday, actually, I saw a post on LinkedIn from somebody who was clearly you know, passionate about gender equality and posting about gender equality, but started their post with, I'm not a feminist or anything, but, um, and you know, my response, I, I, I commented and I said, hey, name, I won't share the name, why so reluctant to call yourself a feminist? And it's generated, you know, quite, quite, quite a bit of debate, but I think many women have it, too many women have it. And many men have it. And I think it's a big problem because what's happened over obviously many, many years, you know, decades, is that all sorts of baggage has been attached to the word feminist and the word feminism that has absolutely nothing to do with feminism. Feminism is just a belief in equality between men and women and a belief in equal opportunity between men and women which by the way is not saying they're the same it's saying they're equal that's very very different um but over the years so much anger and hatred has been attached to it which has absolutely nothing to do with it and that's very alienating um i think on one hand that really alienates men from feminism um, it alienates women from feminism because they don't want to be associated with it. 
Um, and the result of all that is obviously that if we're not careful, it actually prevents us from talking about this very important issue, which is gender equality, because people are afraid to be associated with this, you know, this whole thing. And, and you know, I say to people, I do always challenge them on it. If anyone ever says to me, I'm not a feminist or I don't like feminists, I, I will say, hey, why not? Let's talk about that. And, you know, virtually always you get to the point where they say, oh, you're right, I am actually, based on that, I am. And I would argue that if you don't get somebody to that, based on the definition of it's a belief in equality and equal opportunity, then this isn't really somebody you want it to have anything to do with, actually. But most people do come to realize that they're feminists or feminists, as I call them, um, when they're men. Um, they, they come to realize that, that, you know, that is exactly what they are. And we must have this conversation. We have to have this conversation and anything that stops us having it or makes people feel a little bit nervous about having it. We, we, we've got to get rid of that um, because that, you know, anything that silences um, discussions about equality and diversity on any level um, has got to be addressed, I think. And I am a very proud feminist, hence the Speak Female. Yep, hence the Speak Female podcast. However, I wanted to ask you the question because I have had perhaps in recent years as I've grown my business, grown my podcast around um, one of my probably top three questions I get asked is, why do I hate men? And I wondered if you got that kind of same negativity. And I'm curious, how do you deal with it? I absolutely do get that sometimes. You know, thankfully, let me just start with the positive. Um, there are a hell of a lot of men out there who are I would say the majority good and decent and they believe in equality and they want equality and they will happily, you know, sign up to my feminist um, gang. But yeah, you do, you do occasionally get this response and, you know, there's a whole theory out there that the, this, this whole attachment of all this baggage of man hating to feminism um, is actually a patriarchal construct. It's actually, it was actually, you know, designed originally to achieve exactly this, which is to silence feminists, to silence feminism, to stop discussions about gender equality. So it's actually a controlling mechanism is one of the theories. And I have had, um, my partner's son is 13 years old. Oh, the fantastic young man, a highly intelligent young man. And he challenged me over dinner the other night that um, the reason I'm a feminist is because I want women to take over the world. And it's that, you know, re-education of, here's the thing, it's about equality, which works both ways. And I honestly believe, I, I passionately believe that if we lived in a world, if let's just say we ever lived in a world that was female dominant, where women were in 90% of all the key roles, women were making 90% of the decisions, women were running 90% of the businesses. I passionately believe that I would be fighting for equality for men because I think that would be as unhealthy for society, for the world, for business as this is because it would be a total lack of diversity and we'd be missing really important perspectives. So, so yes, I do get it. I get it. Um, 
not so often because I think there are a lot of enlightened men out there and I love them. I love my feminists. Um, but again, I think we have a responsibility that when we hear it, we, we, we need to challenge it. And, you know, it's hard sometimes, isn't it? Because sometimes it's tempting. Someone can attack you and, and your very natural human reaction is to fight back. And I really resist that because to me, you know, we're not going to get anywhere with, with anger and, and, and fighting and throwing these words at each other. So I usually pause when I get this, I usually pause and I sleep on it. And I actually, I go out there and I, I do proactively engage with anyone who disagrees with me or who believes that feminism is negative or that fighting for gender equality is negative or a power play or... Because my view is, you know, if, if I don't take the time and put in the effort to try to convert the people who don't believe, then why am I doing this in the first place? I'm doing this. I wrote Why Are Men When at, when at Work because I genuinely want to be part of the very long and difficult process of creating an equal world. So, you know what? many many people read it and they just nod along through the whole thing and that's fantastic but that's not going to get us anywhere we've got to convert the people who either disagree or the people who think it's not an issue anymore and you know I don't necessarily disagree but I'm just not proactively working on it because I think there are bigger problems so we've got to engage with the neutrals and the negatives otherwise we're never going to get anywhere Thank you, Jill, for that. And also a huge shout out to all the male allies out there, and especially those that are listening to this podcast as well. Um, Absolutely. We love them. We so love them. And we need them. We need them. Hey, you know, let's say to them, you are, you, we've said it, you have over 90% of the leadership of the world. So if you're not convinced, this is never going to happen. We're never going to get to equality without you. Yeah, we need you. I was horrified to read, actually, that 75% of men in corporate director roles think gender diversity gets too much attention. Again, what do you think the reason could be around this thinking? They think it's fixed. I think that's the fundamental reason. I think too many people think it's fixed. There's a, a really false sense of progress created I think around gender equality and I, I actually get really irritated when I hear people talking about we've made great pro great progress because I really don't think we have I really think that if you look at a world that's over 90 percent you know run by men and, and full of businesses that are over 90 percent run by men I, I just don't see how you can call that progress but I think what happens is that Every time a woman gets a CEO position or she is voted in as leader of a country or um, I think that's very visible. The media make that very, very visible. And often, by the way, those women are incredible. You know, the fact that they've got there and they've overcome all of these barriers. Um, they are incredible. So they often say and do really cool things. So they're very visible. And I think it creates this, this real false sense of progress and false sense that we're living in an equal world. Um, but actually, when you look at the facts, 
You see, we're absolutely not. Their women are very visible, but they are less than 10%, 7% of CEOs, 9% of heads of state. Um, so I think that's one reason that um, many men in leadership, many people in leadership positions deprioritize this actually is, you know, hey, they've got a ton on their plate and they, they genuinely have a perception that it's really just not the big, biggest issue that we'd have. And I would argue it is absolutely one of the biggest um, issues that we have. I think the other reason that they don't prioritize it and they think it, you know, it gets too much attention and it's not something they want to focus on is that often they don't get it. They don't genuinely get and understand that gender equality is a really good thing for everybody and it's a win for everybody. I think too many men believe that gender equality is a women's network thing. And that's why I always say to women, when they invite me for a women's network event, I say, hey, I will absolutely do that and it will be great therapy. But what would be even more powerful would be if we have a gender equality event and we really start that process of helping the men in your organization to understand that this is not a women's issue. Gender equality is an issue for everyone. It's a win for everyone. It makes relationships better, families stronger, businesses perform better, societies are stronger, societies are happier, the world is better. So I think if, if all men, and some men get this, right, but I think if all men, and particularly as men at the top of these organizations have really got that, I don't think we would hear 75% of them saying that they think it gets too much attention. I think if they really got it, they would be saying, this gets nowhere near enough attention. This should be one of our key business strategies. It really should be a business strategy um, for these organizations, in my view. So I'm going to read out a quote from Why Men Win at Work, and then I'm going to ask you a question around it. So men win at work because the people who promote them believe that they are better than the women. Men get most of the best jobs and hold the highest share of leadership positions because they are promoted more frequently than women. So listen, I'm on a, such a mission to change the face of leadership. And I was just wondering, how could we change that notion from that quote that I just read out there? I think the key the real key to all this is that we need to all, uh, and particularly those of us who are making decisions about who to give jobs and promotions and big roles to, and, and voting, everyone who's voting for leaders, need to look beneath that surface perception that, that men are usually better. And I think virtually all of us are guilty of having that perception and as I said sometimes it's true right let's say let's keep this simple 50% of the population on average equal intelligence and ability 50% of the time your perception that the man is a stronger performer is true but what we all need to do is have that awareness that we are being duped by our perception 40 to 50% of the time. 
And just being aware and saying, okay, I am not just going to allow my instinct, my instinctive reaction, my superficial perception to guide me in my evaluation of a person, of their performance, of their potential. I'm going to, you know, it's like with unconscious bias, I am going to give myself a little slap and say, no, we're going to go deeper than that. And we're going to look beneath that. And we're going to look at things like what impact could the invisible power of culture be having on the, the performance of the individuals in my organization and therefore my perception of them. We need to look beneath the surface at the competence versus confidence confidence equation how is the gap in confidence between the men and the women on average leading me to perceive that the men are often better and more competent when actually in many instances they're not um looking at things like the umbrella theory which i think is so important you know we haven't talked about that yet but this this thing that i believe men are generally more savvy about than women which is that they know that the myth of meritocracy doesn't really exist while too many women believe that if they just do a fantastic job and keep their heads down, they'll be noticed, they'll be rewarded, they'll be promoted. And, you know, the umbrella theory for me is this this, um, notion that we're all working under umbrellas as far as our bosses are concerned. Our bosses don't look under the umbrellas often enough. All they see is the tops of those umbrellas. And in general, I think men are much more savvy about opening up the umbrella and saying, hey, Let me share my work with you. Let me share my project with you. Let me get your input to my project. And in doing so, I'm making their work more visible, themselves more visible. I think too many women stay under those umbrellas and then get extremely frustrated when at the end of the year, they don't get the rating they want. And when it's promotion time, they don't get the promotion that they want. So again, as bosses, um, how can we, be savvy about the impact of that umbrella theory on our perception. Are we choosing the best performer or are we choosing the performer who was most savvy about making themselves visible and coming out uh, from under the umbrella? And then obviously I think we need to get so much more savvy about the impact of the time issue on how we perceive performance. Um, You know, it's been beyond discussed over the last year um, the extent to which women in general are carrying the work at home um, on top of their careers and you know the job that they have which creates a time issue if there's one area where we have equality it's how many hours a day we were given you know I think we all got 24 so if women are using significantly more of those hours to do work at home and for the kids if they have them and for the family by definition they have less time for the work but importantly I don't I don't know a woman who compromises her work but I'll tell you what she compromises she compromises her visibility she compromises her networking she compromises her self-marketing because she physically doesn't have the hours of the day to do all of that and get some sleep and not collapse from burnout so 
again, you know, how aware of are, are we of um, how our perception of people and their performance is being influenced by all of these things how visible a person is to you how present they are to you and presenteeism my goodness you know how how much time they spend in the office has absolutely nothing to do with how much they're contributing to their business and I don't think we're all I don't think managers in general are aware enough of this stuff and how it is all impacting their perception. And frankly, you know, this is what I would say to all of those managers out there. Sometimes you are being led to make the wrong decision about who you give a job to by all of this stuff. So you would be very wise to get savvy about it and to understand, yeah, how, how it's impacting you and get wiser about, you know, more conscious about the decisions you make about the performance and contribution and potential of people. So also like you, I believe that parenting plays a key role in into really how people turn out. So how can we start in the generations that we're in now to start educating and empowering parents? You know, I think that it's so important. All this starts at home, right? It starts at home and then obviously school is playing a, a huge role as well. But, you know, if, if we think about parents, I think one of the massive things that, one of the massive responsibilities that parents have is um, role modeling equality at home. And obviously, you know, I'm talking about, you know, the, the, um, the classic mom, dad, role models um here but you know in the instance where that is the family structure um role modeling from the start 50 50 on the unpaid work housework is gender neutral cooking is gender neutral cleaning up after the meal is gender neutral childcare is gender neutral. None of these things are inherently female roles. And yet in so many families, they become that. And that's, that is passed on to the next generation. If your daughter sees mom always doing that stuff and dad always coming back late from the office or going to his laptop while that stuff is happening, that stuff is imprinted on them for the rest of their lives. We need to teach our sons to do the unpaid work and we need to teach our daughters not to expect to have to do the unpaid work because if they learn that at home when they're kids and teenagers they will carry out that through the rest of their lives I think the other huge thing that parents need to do I mean there are so many things you know I have a, a huge to-do list in why men went at work for everyone including for parents but I think one of the other big responsibilities that we have I see so many parents bringing their daughters up to be super confident and I love that of course I love that and to be confident in their intelligence to be confident in their abilities and to go out into the world believing that they're equal to any boy or any man that's certainly how my parents brought me up and it's fantastic and I don't want to change that but I think equally one of the things that we need to do for our daughters is to prepare them that yes they are the equal of any boy or any man out there. But unfortunately, we're not sending them into a world that knows that yet. 
I would love to be sending our daughters out into an equal world, but we're not. We've seen the numbers. We're sending them into a world which gradually, 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 with all these invisible forces, will try to pull those girls and those women out of the workplace as she tries to go up that pyramid. So the big thing I'd say to parents is send them out with the confidence, but also send them out with the really clear awareness of the invisible forces that are going to come after them, that those invisible forces have nothing to do with her ability or her intelligence or her potential, but that they are very real and that they will come after her and that she will be much better able to manage them if she's prepared for them. And I certainly wish I'd been better prepared for them. Uh, I wish I knew. People say to me, Jill, I wish I'd read your book 10 years ago. I say, my love, I wish I'd read my book 10 years ago because I wasn't ready for all this stuff. I think one of the greatest gifts we can give to our daughters is make sure she understands this stuff, make sure she's prepared, make sure she's ready because then she'll manage it much, much better, certainly much better than I did when I was younger. That's really good advice, getting us prepared. So, Chill, I am going to ask you a couple of nosy questions before we wrap up. What is next in the pipeline for you? Well, now, you know, obviously I talk, I talk a lot about gender equality. I talk a lot about why men win at work. Um, and, you know, I, I, I'm always happy to talk about it because it's the start of the conversation. It's really just the start. Um, but what I hope is that, Everyone who talks with me or hears me talk or, you know, Q&As with me, um, that that person will go and do something differently, whether it's a man, a woman, whatever gender, will go and do something differently that will help us move towards gender equality. And, th and that is what happens. A lot of organizations do, do start the work as, as a result of it. So I do that. But the majority of, of my work is consulting um, and consulting with companies and organizations who want to drive equality they know they, they get that it's important but they really don't know how to deliver it because there are so many invisible forces you need to understand them and you need to work on all of them so I do that because I I really want to make 50% a reality I, I deeply believe in this I deeply believe that 50% of the population should have 50% of the representation everywhere at all levels, at the top, whether that's in business or in society. And I deeply believe that the world will be a better place um, if that's the case, because if women are represented, their input can't be missed and the discussions will be richer, the ideas will be richer, the solutions will be richer, the plans will be richer. I think we always miss something when we don't have enough women in the room. I laughed when I saw that conclusion from, you know, post-COVID that there was a, a report that said there weren't, um, there weren't enough women in the room in the discussions about policy during COVID. This was in the UK, you know, when we were making decisions about what we should close, what we should lock down, how we should do it, there weren't enough women in the room. And the conclusion was that they should have had gender experts in the room. And I mean, it makes you laugh out loud, doesn't it? That's not the conclusion. You don't need gender experts in the room, guys. You just need women in the room. And 
you can laugh or you can cry, but I personally won't stop doing this consulting work until we're at 50% representation in line with 50% of the population. And Jill, how can people uh, connect with you to kind of bring you, to get you in to do the consultancy work in their organizations? So easily, um, I, you can share my email address happily um, as, um, as, as a link. Um, I have my website, jillwittycollins.com. I'm on LinkedIn. I'm very active, getting livid every day when I see people talking about progress and reminding them that fewer than 10% of um, leadership positions are held by women. I'm on Instagram. I'm on Twitter. Yeah. If you, if you, if you can't find me, you're not trying because I'm, I'm very much um, there and I am, yeah, super keen to engage with anybody who wants to make progress on gender equality, because I really believe we can do this, but we're not going to do it by sitting around waiting for it to happen. You know, every few weeks, the, I think it's the World Economic Forum puts out some data about how many hundreds of years it will take us to reach gender equality and it irritates me because it creates an impression that we'll get there naturally and we won't it's this is a self-fulfilling prophecy driven by many many invisible and unconscious forces and we have to work on it intentionally if we're going to fix it uh, otherwise it will just the self-fulfilling prophecy will just continue to fulfill itself until eternity but on the positive side, if we do understand those forces and we do work intentionally on them, we can fix this really, really quickly. So, yes, find me. I'm, uh, I'm ready, ready to help. I will include all of your details in the show notes so people Thank can you. just grab them there and get in touch. So before we end our episode today, I would like to ask you for one piece of advice that our listeners could kind of grab hold of today and start to build that equal balance i'm going to say the biggest piece of advice for women you know young women particularly as you start you're starting out in your career is please be aware please be aware you may be like me and you may be lucky for a very long time. And you may think you're immune for a very long time, but I can promise you, if you continue to pursue your career, you will see this. You will reach a point where you will see this. You will hit a male dominant culture and you will understand. So don't be fooled into thinking, hey, this is something that happens to other women, not to me. It happens to women everywhere and it, and it will ha happen to you. So if you're aware, you can be prepared, you understand it and you can manage it better. And, you know, specifically, there are so many things to be aware of, but probably two of the biggest would be firstly, know your strengths really early on. Invest that time. Do something like Strengths Finder, which I absolutely love. Know what your strengths are, understand yourself and take that into the workplace and make it non-negotiable. I will bring these strengths. And if you find yourself in a culture which is in any way trying to distract you from using those strengths, either because you don't fit in and you're trying to, or because you know it's a male dominant culture and you're copying uh, what, what you think works there, don't do it. Remind yourself of your strengths, go back to those. If you're in an organization that doesn't value them and leverage them, 
take your talent and your brilliance and your amazing strengths elsewhere. And, and remember the umbrella theory. Remember the umbrella theory. It is not just about doing amazing work under that umbrella. Move that umbrella aside and make sure your boss can see the fantastic work that you're doing so you don't get frustrated when you see other people who you don't think are any better than you or maybe even as strong as you getting those jobs and those promotions that you really deserve. Oh, Joe, as you were just saying that, I was thinking, where have you been all my life? I so needed <laughs> to hear that. 10 years ago and thank you so be aware know your strengths go back through and listen to the umbrella theory as well so jill thank you so much for joining the speak female podcast today it's been an absolute pleasure to talk with you thank you for having me thank you for tuning in to the speak female podcast i've been your host lucy grimwade Check out the show notes where you will find contact details for the panellists that have been on this episode today. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast and share across your networks. The more people we can reach, the better. And I will leave you with this. Be curious, be kind, and be the change you want to see in the world. Speak female soon.